Hey, it's Greg Brady, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the podcast. I'm guest hosting for Kelly Cotrera this week. Here's what we have today. New guidelines that are going to measure obesity. The BMI, a thing of the past, created two centuries ago. We're throwing that in the bin, and we're figuring out how better to measure obesity. And we think by measuring it better, we'll be able to counteract it better and have less obese people. That should be a good thing. How the border closure impacts international relationships. We've all been struggling with figuring out when the next time we'll be able to cross this, to go shopping, to go to a sporting event, to go on a trip. Well, what about boyfriend, girlfriend? What about parents of kids that can't see them? We'll touch on those issues as well. And I had to say goodbye to a great friend far too soon because of a terrible, awful disease. I want to give a reminder of what you can do to hopefully prevent that from happening to you. It's all coming up on the podcast. We found this incredibly interesting. We talk about obesity, and and of course, um, it's a crisis in many countries, many many first world countries. Because guess what? We've got endless amounts of food that we can consume. We hear the term foodie now, and it's everybody who claims to be a foodie just goes bonkers, right? Food is it's an industry within itself. So there's a new guideline that notes that doctors have to begin shifting patients away from just plain diet and exercise. And as well, BMI, there are so many. BMI was created in the late 18th century, and we still talk about it like it should be a measure. And it never was meant to be a measure of who's fat and who's not. But you'll find a lot of this fascinating. Joining me on the line is the author of the particular guidelines, also from McMaster University, uh, Dr. Sean Warden. Dr. Warden, I appreciate the time. Thanks very much for making it for me. Absolutely. Hello. So this is an unbelievable uh, set of circumstances I think we find ourselves in, in that we've used, you know, we, we've, we've switched from talking about what fat is to what obesity is, but there's, there, there's a better way to do this. And we've been really slow in getting at this particular better way, it seems like. Yeah, we absolutely have been. I mean, you know, the number of people suffering with um, the complications from uh, an increase in weight in Canada is a huge number. It's a third. It's nine million people, and it causes a, a lot of, of of problems. But but even with within that, we know that it's so prevalent. Yet we still don't have a lot of great understanding of it, and we're still using old terminologies and old ways of actually thinking about it. And we need to update that because we know more about the biology, about the physiology, about the impairments and the health. So, so mm-hmm. as you stated, BMI is not the right tool. So it's yeah, it's deemed as very um, very bogus. People can uh, can look it up, and the I, I, the irony there is, isn't it, uh, Doctor Warden, that there's NBA and NHL players that'll play games today that would be considered obese under the BMI formula uh, based on their height. There's so much it doesn't take into account. What are the major flaws with it, and why should we be leaving it way behind in in the past? Right. So the major flaw is that it looks just at body size, as, as, as you, you've stated. It doesn't look at actual health. And so, and, um, and for instance, um, and body size can be very misleading when it comes to the, 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 the idea of, of um, health. So African-American women, for instance, take a lot of their weight and energy and put it into their thighs and, and, and in their hips. So they don't run into medical diseases like type 2 diabetes or hypertension until their BMI is about 32. Whereas if we look at South Asian people or the, or the, the, um, um, the 
indigenous group, we know that they take their weight and energy and put it into the central areas. And those central areas, those fat mm-hmm. cells are connected to the pancreas, next to the liver. So disease starts to happen at a much earlier rate. So just their genetics end up telling us sometimes and the placement of where the fat cells are, are a major, major factor. White males tend to put their energy into the central area, not into the buttocks and to the, into the thighs. And that is, um, so the downtown fat in the central area causes a lot of, a lot of medical problems and the mm-hmm. peripheral fat doesn't. Dr. Sean Warden is our guest. New uh, guidelines, a summary of which is published today. You can uh, Google it online at the Canadian Medical Association Journal, CMAJ. Um, it, it all comes back sometimes, Dr. Warden, to, to COVID-19. There were thoughts pretty instantaneously, and, and that many of them have been borne out, that obesity increases the risk of COVID-19. Some people have been very outspoken about it, militant about it. What have been your observations? And, and is even being obese, has that been a wake-up call uh, for some people given that increased risk? Right. It definitely um, confers an increased risk. The bigger risk is that once you do get COVID-19, your chance of going into the intensive care unit to being in the in the hospital for longer to being intubated is much, much higher. So if we look at Boris Johnson, um, the UK uh, the UK prime minister, mm-hmm. he ended up in the intensive care unit for a short period of time, and he blamed some of that on his elevated weight. And that is actually accurate. So, so we know that there's a lot of inflammatory markers that come from these toxic fat cells, those central ones, and they go to the lungs, they go to multiple other areas, and they make it much more difficult for someone with COVID-19 to clear it and make the disease a lot more prevalent, as it does with other medical problems. So COVID-19 is definitely one of them, but there's multiple other ones too. You reference uh, cognitive therapy, which I'm, I'm interested in, I think our audience would be as well, uh, in, in terms of just being more aware. Um, we, we just get into such habits, such routines with our eating and our exercise too, um, but being very aware of, of basically every minute of every day can, can help people, can it? Absolutely. So cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the pillars. We have three main pillars that we talk about in terms of being able to maintain healthy lifestyles. So if you want to have a healthy eating behavior, healthy activity level, then doing cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the pillars that helps you to actually continue to actually do that. And the word cognitive means that you're aware of the problem. You're aware of the fact that when you get home at night after a difficult day at, um, at, at, at um, work, mm-hmm. that you end up um, uh, using coping mechanisms and yeah, extra uh, eating calorie-dense, calorie-dense foods. Now that you're aware that you're using that coping mechanism, you can try to divert it and that, that coping strategy to another strategy. But if you were never aware of it, if you weren't cognizant of it, the behavior cannot change. Dr. Sean Warden is our guest uh, from McMaster University, uh, lead author of these new guidelines, uh, clinical guidelines for obesity. This will seem to our audience, I don't think it will to you, but it'll seem like a loaded question, but I think you'll understand why I'm asking it. We live in a society right now where we talk a lot about shame. We talk a lot about mental health, and we should because those are very important things. But there's there's certainly a, a group that says, you know what? Every person is beautiful. Every don't worry, don't feel you need to improve. And 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 I do wonder whether we cross that line sometimes between 
wouldn't you love to live longer? Wouldn't you love to live healthier? And we don't want to shame people into it. People will only do what they feel inside they're required to do. But it's a fine line, really, isn't it? We, Of course we want a healthy, healthy society. The rest of us pay for it if we don't have a healthy society. But I worry sometimes we're just like, hey, again, everyone's beautiful and, and everything's great. We got to worry about this with kids because kids don't have a choice a lot of time uh, with exercise and diet. They, they have to eat what their parents eat. Right. Yeah. So I think there is a somewhat of a fine line, as, as you said, but the, the greater understanding is for us to, um, to have greater self. The, the, so, so, so self-esteem is important, compassion mm-hmm. and, and the, the empathy that we show people, telling them that they are loved regardless of, of, of what size they are and how much their actual struggle is. So letting them know that allows them to then take the steps they need to make those healthy choices. There's nobody living with obesity who's having medical problems that wants to be there. They don't want to be there. What they want is for people to recognize that they're important and that they're good people and that they yeah. deserve compassion and empathy. And then they have a chance of then implementing the appropriate treatment options to get on track. If we don't treat them well, then their self-esteem keeps on going further and further down, mm-hmm. and they have less cognitive capacity to actually do any treatment option. So that's our job. Our job is to make mm-hmm. people feel better because they're good people, and then that allows them to, to have better treatment options. Yeah, Dr. Orton, I, I think you nailed it, honestly. I, I think I don't think we'll, we can't solve obesity, but I think we can reduce it through science and studies like yours. As opposed, We can encourage people. Shaming's a different story. There's that fine line. We got to, but it's it's important to encourage people to be healthier. Like people can't just turn a deaf ear to that. Right. And the encouragement to be healthier also comes with the fact that we know a lot more now. Um, so we know what things work. So mm. if you were just going to randomly encourage people to be healthy by saying diet and exercise, just have a better diet, um, dude, you know, like, why can't you, why can't you stick to it? The reason why they can't stick to it is because there's a biological process that is driving their weight to be elevated, driving their hunger, driving yeah. their cravings. It's like telling a person with, um, with, uh, with, with, with depression just to be happier. Just, just be happier. Like, why can't you get... So when we know that there's neurochemicals within the brain, particularly serotonin, 5-HT, and a number of other things that drive biochemical de- depression. So we use medical treatment for it. So here, we need to also look at medical treatment because there's hormones and neurochemicals that drive these, these, uh, these behaviors. So the use of a medication can very effectively put somebody on the right track and help them to do behaviors properly. Um, bariatric surgery can do that, and cognitive behavioral therapy can also do it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the study is very, very valuable, uh, and it was important to get the word out about it. Thank you very much for taking the time, Dr. Warden. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I don't need to tell you that the Canada-U.S. border is still closed. It's been closed for months. Uh, it probably will still be closed for months. They do these surveys once in a while, and, and people know 88% of Canadians think the border still should be closed. And you're just wondering, can I get the, not that I want to get too close to them, but the 12% that think we should reopen right now, can we have, can we get on a Zoom call and can I uh, address some of the issues why right now they're, they're delusional? Like they, you know, I know they live in Canada because they took the survey, but they live on a different planet. And listen, we're all 
we're all suffering. I am I am very American centric. I have an American born son. I have relatives in Ohio, uh, an uncle and aunt that are so precious to me. We were going to see them this summer, and we hadn't seen them in a couple years. Um, but we can't just cut across anymore. And and people crossing the Peace Bridge to go to uh, go shopping or go to a Buffalo Sabers game or Windsor Sarnia to get into the great state of Michigan. Um, we really can't predict. I couldn't tell you. If someone said, when's the next time you think you're driving across the U.S. border? Again, last segment, I mentioned April as a time when I hope all this is over. I, I, I can't guarantee it's any time before then. And we know, we know this for a fact, there's an awful lot of people eyeing the U.S. election and thinking that will have some influence. And, and I'll weigh in a little later on why it may or may not. Uh, we've got a woman on the phone who's not been able to see her boyfriend for five months. That's, you know, the true test of a long-distance relationship is uh, stability and discipline. I was never very good at that stuff. I tried a couple of those things. Uh, but this is real uh, real engagement here. Hetty Marie Manu joins us on uh, Global News Radio hey. 640 Toronto. Hetty, uh, it's Greg. How are you? Greg, so good to to talk to you, and thank you for having me today. Layout, um, yeah, you were we, we were looking for somebody that could really relate to the closed border scenario. Lay out your circumstance uh, with with your boyfriend, where you live, where he lives, and and uh, and when the last time you saw him was. Right. Well, uh, just a little background information. Um, I met KJ on online. We were on Christian Mingle, and we met last year, um, August the oh, no, sorry, two years ago, August eleventh. Officially, he came to Toronto, where we met, and it was you know just love at first sight, and and uh, we've had a relationship since I guess technically since July twenty third when we clicked on each other um, of of two thousand eighteen. And uh, we've been back and forth, back and forth from Toronto to the United States, back and forth. For where, where does he years. live? What, what city does he's he live in? in Ohio. So when you oh, great. Ohio, I was like, oh, there you go. So, and I have family in Ohio as well. And, and so we've been doing that drive back and forth. At least I, I do it once a month. He does it once a month. So we saw, basically we're seeing each other every two weeks on average. And, and then all of a sudden, with the border closed, um, right before March break, um, I'm an educator, by the way, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I was looking forward to taking my kids for our regular trip to Ohio, and uh, we had to make a decision if we were going to go to see him or not. That was before the hard closure on the 21st of March. Um, and we decided, you know what, it's probably a good idea just to be safe. Um, a part of me is glad I made the decision, and a part of me is kind of sad, because that would have been the last time I saw him. Um, I saw him on March 8th of this year. Um, and so, yeah, it's been about five months, almost getting so towards there. Did you have hopes and expectations that the border shutdown would be just a brief one? Like I said, a couple months, really? get get back yeah. into business by the summer. We all hoped very, that anyway. Very much so. I mean, I thought, okay, you know, you know, with all that's going on, I thought maybe by the summer they would flex a little bit more and just kind of allow people to still travel in some degree. Um, but no, nothing. And then to see, you know, all the news about it being another six months, I'm like, okay, this will be like a year. <laughs> Like this, yeah. is, this is insane. I mean, we've mastered the Zoom, we've mastered, we've mastered the video chat at this point. Um, but uh, it's nothing like holding a hand and getting a hug and, and seeing the person you love. You know. Now, there's a difference between car. You, I'm sure you've, you've noted noted this, but our, it's important for our audience. The difference between car travel crossing the border and flying has it right. has it you right. know has it crossed your mind to to get on a flight um, and and go and then come back and fly back? Well, it certainly has crossed my mind. But here's what's crazy: is that I can leave my house. It takes about a six hour drive to get to his door. I can leave my house and only see one person, and that is the custom custom or immigration person at the border, and drive directly from from my door to them at mm-hmm. the border and then directly to his door and see only one person okay 
But now I'm having to decide about going to an airport with hundreds of people, (laughs) um, stopping over in wherever city because there is no direct flights. And I'm being exposed, exposed, exposed all the way till I get down there. Um, It just it seems absurd. And then quarantining for 14 days. And when you're a teacher, um, especially going into the fall, I'm not going to be able to have that luxury. No, you won't. I'll tell you a quick story for uh, um, since we're talking about it. So uh, we get a, a cottage west of uh, west of London, and uh, and we do that with my sister who came from uh, Rochester, New York, and my other sister from Ottawa. So they did cross the border. They're not U.S. citizens, but they they're permanent residents and American born kids. They cross the border, but you're right. They they felt they felt the pressure. They felt the pressure at the border for what the Canadian border official told them, and they felt the pressure to be on site, like like not get. You're really not supposed to go anywhere, right? You're not right. supposed to get groceries. You're not. They're they're, they're right. on. They're we're at the beach, and they were basically told <laughs> like don't go in the water. Almost like they were told right. you're in your cottage and you're not mingling with other people. And of course, we saw them. We all went and got tested beforehand. We all felt very confident in in the in the procedures and cautions we were taking, but it was, it, it was a really stressful time. And I think quarantining for anybody going to the U S and coming back, especially with children. Um, you're right. It, 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 it may not be worth it in the long haul if, if, uh, if well, all said I, and done. Yeah. And I got to consider the fact that I'm employed. So I, I want to make sure that I could still, you know, be getting you know, my employment and still doing my job when I return, um, and not feel like I have to, you know, put that on hold just for one visit. And, and then again, like how long a visit? So, you know, go for one day, you still got to quarantine for 14. <laughs> so it's like, so I might as well see what I can do and stay as long as I possibly can. And, but I don't know, I, it, all of those questions are up in the air. And then of course, hearing that, you know, a dating relationship isn't uh, a common law or a married relationship. So that mm-hmm. kind of pushes the envelope a little bit. I'm just resetting. Hetty Marie Manu has uh, been uh, dating her boyfriend for five, uh, five, five. I haven't been able to see her boyfriend so for five years, months and you've been yeah. dating him for two years and he lives in Ohio. Um, if it, and it probably gives you some consternation that you're like, of course I want the border open, but I sure don't want them doing it prematurely. I don't want them giving in to any right. kind of right. any kind of political pressure from the U.S. Right. I, I, I don't. You don't want to. We none of us want to see this. There's a lot of things we don't want to do. We don't want to have occur until we know it's right again because we we'd have Absolutely. that guilty conscience almost about it. I agree with you, Greg. I, and I've just commented to friends of mine who've posted things on my Facebook page and, you know, saying, hey, you know, you know, this is what has to happen. And I said, you know, I agree. I believe that Canada is trying to do the best that they possibly can. And so I'm, I'm not opposed to the, the strict guidelines to ensure that our state, country stays safe and secure. So please hear me when I say that. It's just a hard pill to swallow when you do have a loved one on the other side um, that you either, as friends of mine have said, that they're uh, loved ones who are ill and they want to be there yeah. for them. Um, it really does make it challenging and hard. Um, then again, as I said, you know, we have to consider that love is also an essential. You know, um, there, you know, there are people that are experiencing that loneliness and that can really be a detriment to their health as well and their well-being. All right. Give, give your um, boyfriend a shout out. Tell us his name and what, <laughs> tell us his name and what he does. What does he do for a living? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to say KJ just because I, I, I didn't even clear it with him that I was going to be on this radio show. So hopefully he's not going to be like, you did what? Um, but his name is KJ and he's out in Ohio and I'm definitely going to give him a shout out and tell him I miss him. I love him and I uh, can't wait till I can just hang out and just uh, fall asleep on his chest and watch 
watch a movie like we do. So well, that's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful and romantic. Now, since he's not listening, and I was going to joke that he's on the other end right now, but even for a half second, <laughs> I didn't want to play that kind of psychological torture on you. Um, this is an important question. Do you, do you, do you, and I won't judge you for this. I'll judge him. Do you know who's, who he's voting for? Because you... <laughs> so Ohio's a big swing a state. Hil- Hillary got rumbled pretty bad in Ohio <laughs> last time out. I'm this just telling you. Good one. You know, I will say this in, in response <laughs> to that. We have kept um, we've kept politics out of the relationship, and I think maybe that's been a good thing for us. So oh, uh, we, I, we I, I, my my relationships <laughs> thrive on politics. I know I've driven I've driven girls away with my political opinions. <laughs> <laughs> going on in our lives to just throw politics in the mix. So there, you, there you have it. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, but I, but he's not undecided. You, can you say that? Are you sure that he's decided? I think that's an important factor right there. Once again, I, I don't know. We've kind of kept it out. Oh of the mix, wow! But, but I, but I will say this. You know, it will be a question because everybody's now reconsidering or thinking about what they're going to do come, you know, the fall and, and devoting. I, I think every, I think that's on the table for everybody. Mm. Um, and I'm glad that I'm, <laughs> I, I'm glad I don't have a vote. <laughs> oh, I wish you did though. I wish you did. I want you to have, a, I want you to try and vote illegally. I'm saying that on the air right now. Okay. Like, like just send, use an American stamp and see if it gets, see if it can make it through. <laughs> All right, listen, good luck, and we'll we'll try and keep listeners updated on your story because I, I think it's important. I think you're you're one of thousands of people dealing with a scenario just like this right now, and we hope it all works out. Thanks for taking the Thank time. Thank you so much, Greg. You're awesome. Take care. I appreciate that. Uh, all right, Hetty Marie Manu has not been able to see her boyfriend uh, for five, five long months. A friend of mine died on Saturday night, and I want to lay out uh, some of the specifics of it, and uh, it, it affects me. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to me, and I've been really lucky with tragedy. I still have my parents. Um, I n- nothing has befallen either of my sisters and anyone close to them, and my wife still has her two parents. Uh, they're all getting older. Um, okay, we know they're on. Uh, they're clearly on the back nine. Uh, um, they might even be on the sixteenth or seventeenth hole. It's not easy sometimes for people who have aging parents. Um, but I'm staring at my friend's face right now. His name was Jamie Samuelson. His name is Jamie Samuelson. And I met him in 1997. My first job was down at CKLW in Windsor. And I'd go across the border sometimes to, uh, to cover games and just collect audio. I'd go to Red Wings games, Tigers games. I thought this is a big bet. People who live in Windsor know that Windsor in itself, eh, okay. But you get to go across to Detroit. You get to go out to dinner, and you get to go to big concerts, big sporting events. Um, it was it was really really cool. And I met Jamie there, and I started listening to his show. He did a show with a guy named Greg Henson uh, called Jamie and Greg, and that was on in the afternoon. And um, eventually, Jamie and I became very fast friends. Now, this is probably like a pre-texting era, but we'd call each other sometimes. And my thought in going to games. So you, you just cross the border, you do your shift in Windsor, and you drive to like a Pistons game in Auburn Hills, and you'd say to yourself, I really hope Jamie would be there. Like, I really did. And, um, and then an opening came up, and a really good friend of mine now, who I'm still friends with 22 years later, went to law school. And um, the amount of people that should have got out of radio and gone to law school, I have, I have names alphabetically. I'll give them to you later in the show. But he decided to go to law school, and I, I applied for his job. And so I'm a Canadian applying for a job at a U.S. radio station. And um, Jamie didn't understand the process. He's my age. Um, we share the same birth year, and we share the same birth month. 
and uh, we got to be really close. And he trusted me through that process. The process took a little longer. It's complicated. There was a government shutdown. I got my work visa probably four months after I hoped to. And it was one of the great phone calls of my life to get it. And Jamie was really patient and, and hung in there. And he was a sports director and he'd assign me, um, you know, things to go and do. So you'd get on an airplane and you'd go cover Michigan State basketball at the NCAA tournament in the first and second round. Um, he he saw me as more knowledgeable. Many of my colleagues uh, at other places won't believe this, but saw me very knowledgeable about hockey. Okay, and uh, and he's like, you're you're the guy. You're you're gonna do travel with the Red Wings in the playoffs. So there you are, on, are also getting on airplanes, and you're making no money. Okay, like that's the one thing I can say. It was not, uh, you know, 26 years old. I'm making maybe twenty six, twenty seven thousand dollars, and thinking this is awesome. I have no money. You got to watch every dime you spend, but I'm really, really enjoying life. And Jamie started to make that happen. And, uh, and then our relationship grew. We'd go to movies together. Um, we'd play tennis together all the time. He almost never beat me. I had to take it easy on him a few times. Um, and then we started doing a, a show together when there was some, uh, not upheaval at the station in a bad way, but some people had moved on and I started doing mornings with Jamie in 2002 and our relationship really blossomed. We got to do that show together for five and a half years and, I think I, I know I have high standards for people in my own life. And I think my parents have been so exceptional. I'm really, I have great parents. A lot of people think my parents are the best. I know that mine are. They were the best parents I possibly could have had as a kid that, you know, uh, had opinions and, and, you know, always wanted to keep life interesting. Okay. There's nothing. I, I'd rather keep it interesting and, and be a little, you know, create some tension and create some edge. And we did that. My parents participated fully in that, but we would do that at the dinner table and we would do that at holidays. And I know some families don't say much to each other. We said everything to each other. And that served me well working with Jamie because we were able to do that also. And there's two messages I want to leave as I, as I, you know, I could go on and talk about him forever. And I, I promised myself I'd limit this. I was on his old show this morning on, um, on WKRK in Detroit. And I talked about him for 11 minutes and I couldn't have made it 15 minutes. So um, the timing is uh, is everything in terms of, of uh, being able to leave this and, and just be able to know that I paid some element of tribute to him in my own professional life because he I've had so many pe- great people that I've been able to work with and I've had so many great environments to work in and I'm really glad I'm back here because this has been a great environment to work in these last several months and I needed that. But um, Jamie was sick. For a while, he had colon cancer, and he got diagnosed very early in 2019. And he kept that to a very, very small circle of family and and a couple of friends and colleagues in Detroit. So I had I had basically our show ended in 2007. There was the economy started to just get annihilated in in Detroit. We had an awesome show. I would still be doing that show now. Um, I don't know what would have made me leave. I was doing play by play in the OHL. I was doing that show doing a lot of UK-based stuff, which I still do now. Life was amazing. We had our son born there. We were pregnant um, with our second about five months in when all of us lost our job on the same day. And that happens in radio, and I'm well aware of it, and I get the ups and downs, and I never, ever complain about the business. What a lousy business. No, it's a great business. It's a great, great business um, if you can make it work. And not everyone can, but I've made it a pledge that I'm going to, and I have so far. 
But Jamie meant doing that show. Um, you know, he cried that day, and I didn't. I think I was too, in too much shock, and he cried. I I remember helping him. <laughs> uh, I helped him carry his bar fridge down because we kept snacks in there and drinks. We'd have breakfast, you know, milk in there so we could have cereal in the morning. We both like cereal, and uh, and I carried the fridge down, and that felt like a real final moment. Also, our key cards were deactivated after we carried our fridge down. Like, give us, can you give us fifteen minutes? But anyway, um, Jamie and I stayed in touch. But as you know, when you see somebody every day and you'll have high school friends and college friends like this, it's not the same. And it hurt not to see him every day. And it hurt not to have him, even when we were, you know, he'd get mad at me for stuff. He had a, te- he had a, he had a worse temper than me sometimes. Um, but we tried. I, I know we were harder on each other than anybody else was. And it made us better. And we were tough, uh, you know, tough combatants when we'd argue about something, even if something as trivial as sports or, you know, what movie Michael Douglas was the best in or Tom Hanks was the best in. We would argue about everything. And we loved it. We loved it. And he was right. And I was right sometimes. So um, he had colon cancer. And over the 11 years, um, we'd see each other a fair bit, but not enough to my liking. And I will tell you that I emailed him a couple times on a couple different occasions in, in our 11 years since we stopped doing the show together, forced to stop doing the show. I never would have, I never could have, could have quit on him um, in any circumstance. Um, I would have, I'd still be doing that show with him had that company, had Clear Channel let us keep doing that show. But nothing's supposed to last forever. I know that. And I certainly know that over the last few days. So Jamie... Um, I, I, you know, and I think I called him out as a friend. I said, I need to see more of you and I need to hear from you more and you're a valuable friend and you tell me that you love me like a brother and I, I need, I need a little more. And his response was often, um, I'm the, you're right. I need to be there more. And uh, I'm the king. He described himself. I'm the king of making plans. And then I didn't, I don't follow through on those plans. I wanted him to come visit me here. I wanted him to see my kids. Our kids had only gotten together a couple times in Detroit because we were very young parents um, in 06 and 07. And that is, you, you have no time to get together in those first 10, 12 months. You're hanging on for dear life, and then you have two, and you're hanging on for dear life. And he had three beautiful kids who are 17, 14, and 11 and don't have their father anymore. And I didn't know he had colon cancer. We texted in the summer. He texted me after the Raptors one. We texted a couple times, and I always wanted more. And I should have just picked up the damn phone and called him and said, I want to have a conversation. I don't want a four-line text exchange. I don't want a group message thing where five of us make a joke about something and we all laugh. I want a conversation. I want time. And we say this to our spouses all the time. And our kids, you can tell when they're leaning on us and we need to give them more time away from work. But the two overarching messages I would have in, in summing this up, make the damn time for your friends. Okay, I didn't do it enough. And I wish I had. And I wasn't good enough at it. And that will, I've had people tell me they feel the same. They're going to try not to beat themselves up over it, but I don't know. The beatings are going to take place for several days and maybe a few weeks about this. I needed to be better. I think he would say the same if I had passed away Saturday night. I hope so. But I didn't do what I should have done. So I know you're listening to this right now saying, I'm so busy. Got so much going on. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. I'm hanging on for dear life, mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, whatever it is. Make the time because your your spouse, your wife, your husband, they'll understand. They have to. Make them have to. Your kids, you were always there for our kids. You don't need to be at every soccer practice. You don't need to be at every. I know there's parents thinking, and I've felt it too. I've been away for birthdays sometimes, and it sucks. 
But make that time for your friends because they're, they're the ones that can dip in and out of your life. They're the ones that can sort of go back and forth on your existence. And even Monday last week, I get the news that he's sick, and I don't know it. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. But my I misread the message, too, because he came out publicly, talked about it on his radio show. And I thought he was turning the corner. I thought, you don't come out and talk like this. And he was positive. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a spokesman for uh, you know colon cancer and colonoscopies. And I'm going to make these statements. And I thought, you don't do that unless you're getting better. And I didn't call him right away. And I should have done that. And now I can't. I can't ever talk to him again. I can't ever see him again. And it's by far the worst thing that's ever happened to me. The worst. I know I got 90 more minutes of radio to do. That'll, that'll, that may be the second worst. But I'm excited to do it because I'm talking to you and I'm talking about my friend. But make that time. Make that phone call. There's, there's probably five people right now you're thinking of in your car or your house or however you're listening to this. And you're saying, I haven't talked to this person in forever. And I was thinking they'd call me and they were a little icy or they were busy. And get them in your lives. Get them in your lives until you can't. Because now I can't. And I'd trade so much of just sitting there and taking a nap and sitting around doing nothing and watching a show, a show that I would have loved to have, you know, talked to him about and uh, have him make fun of my music tastes and have me make fun of his music tastes. And we can't do any of that stuff anymore because he's not here. And I would also advise men. And I'm a man that's, that's his age, mid 40s. He gets diagnosed with colon cancer. I went and got a physical last summer. I said, how about a colonoscopy? The doctor, who and my doctor's great, but she said, any family history? No. Are you 50 yet? Hell no. Of course I'm not. Don't worry about it. I'm telling you to worry about it because I just lost one of my best friends and my most influential people on the entire planet. And I don't know if anything the rest of my life is going to make me as sad as this. And he was in stage four, stage four when he found out. So make that phone call and get that appointment. I know we're in the midst of, uh, again, a global pandemic, but make the appointment to your doctor and then you'll just feel amazing about it afterwards. It's real easy and maybe it's a guy thing, but pick up the phone call, tell your friends that you love them. When you love them, tell them, okay? Uh, Call them out and say, I need to see more of you because I was insistent on that and I might have even maybe I should have been more aggressive and he should have he should have been the same cuz I I I know he had time for me sometimes and I didn't have time for him and I should have so um I hope Jamie Samuelson rests in peace I hope there's peace somehow somewhere down the line for his beautiful wife Christy and their three kids they have two gorgeous daughters and a son who doesn't have a dad anymore and the two girls don't have a dad anymore and no matter what Christy does the rest of her life um, she'll never have a partner like Jamie. I've never had an on-air partner like Jamie since, you know, I can hope, I can hope there's someone around the corner. I can hope I enjoy radio. I enjoy radio every day of my life, but Jamie made it so special, so special. And it only happens so many times like that in your life. And I wanted to send those two messages, talk about my friend. And I thank you, the audience, um, and the folks here for indulging me. It's very personal, but I thank them for letting uh, me have the time and indulging me to do that. We had a phenomenal relationship and I will miss him. He was so special and I'll miss him every damn day the rest of my life. Make that phone call to your buddy, to a few buddies and make that phone call to your doctor and don't put it off. You know, I'll give you a week, okay? A month and you're too late and you missed the whole message and I wasted my time telling you to do these two things and I don't want it to be a waste of time.